AA serenity prayer and pray for wisdom and discernment to know the difference between being content and apathetic and willing, but not pushy, not self-promoting. And so I came home and I thought that kind of captures where I am. And the next day I got a call from uh, Robert, a text from Robert asking if I would be willing to uh, serve here for uh, a couple of months here in April and May, uh, essentially. And uh, after praying that prayer, I thought, you know, God's hand is in this. So we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. But let me give you just a sidebar lesson about Revelation itself. There are really three different ways we use the term Revelation. God revealed this to me. First is in his inspired word. It is the authoritative word of God. He has revealed himself to us. Even more basic than that, we could say, he's revealed himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and then in his written word about the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we can say God revealed this to me in the uh, guise of illumination. It's not new revelation, but for us to have eyes to see and ability to understand what God has revealed, it's like the light comes on. That's the illumination of God's word. And we can use the term God revealed this to me. It wasn't like he did it directly as though we were apostle or prophet, but it was the work of the Spirit in our lives so that we could understand what he's revealed in his word. But in his word, we also uh, understand that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. He will make our paths straight. He will keep us from veering off. He will lead us. He will guide us. Now, that is more subjectively discerned. I think as we try to understand what God's will is for us, we go to his word first, and we read what God has uh, revealed. We know that's true. We pray for the eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand and obey. That's the illumination of God's word. And then we, God doesn't tell us who we should marry, what job we should take, where we should give uh, should uh, live, what church, what congregation we should go to, what should I respond to, you know, serve in, in this kind of way. But God does lead us in all our ways acknowledge him. He will lead us. He'll direct your paths. So I thought it was, you know, rather extraordinary and obvious just in that circumstantial timing that I just asked for prayer, that I'd be willing and not self-promoting, that I thought, I can't turn Robert down <laughs> now. So I do think that God is in this, and that doesn't mean that what I preach is infallible, uh, but the word that I preach is. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will give uh, you all understanding how to receive and understand what God says in his word, and that he will use uh, the preacher in his own fallible way to help enlighten that, to help open it up uh, to you. Now, the second point of orientation, coming to a congregation that I know many of you, but I don't really know what's going on right now. I feel like a fisherman going to a new lake. I know some basics about how to fish, what to do. I've maybe gotten some tips from this or that. This is where the bottom structures are. This is what, and I try, but I'm casting out lines, not exactly knowing where the fish are. As we go through these first three chapters of Revelation, 
I don't know where the shoe fits, but I am praying that this God who has led us to do this and who has given us this word, that his spirit will take and apply uh, to you all in this church in the way that is a blessing and is an encouragement. And so we turn to, to God's word. I, I wasn't sure I was going to do this. Mary and I have been reading a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spiritual Depression. I read it at the beginning of ministry. How many of you have read Spiritual Depression? It's interesting that uh, I'm just going to remind you of that book. I read it early on, and I think it fed my thoughts. It was one of many witnesses that helped shape my understanding of how to grow spiritually. But I think because of its title, people think, I don't need that book unless I really get depressed. It's really a guide to spiritual health. I almost tried to take that on and give you a sampling of some of the points that that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was making. But I thought, it's way too rich, way too much for the time we have together. I commend it to you uh, for perhaps some of your small groups or book studies or just in friendship. Say, let's read a chapter and we'll talk about it this next week to digest that book. It's a guide to spiritual growth and health. And I wish I had done that uh, early on at, at Sycamore and then in the middle of the time at Sycamore. And then later, I, having read it at the beginning, it shaped my mind. Reading it now after a lifetime in ministry, I think it is the best collection of sermons uh, as a guide to spiritual health. It's really extraordinary. So I just commend that to you. That's what I almost did, but we're turning to this. So let's pray that God will use uh, this study of his word. Heavenly Father, we come to your word now. This is a book that is often confusing, often neglected, but not these first chapters uh, so much. I pray that we would uh, have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and obey what you reveal, for there is blessing promised explicitly in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name, ladies and gentlemen, is Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd. And I'm here to read the news from across this great world of ours. Anybody recognize that? There's a movie out uh, last year, News of the World. And it's a great illustration for what we're doing this morning. Because this, uh, after the, you know, in the early Wild West days, this captain uh, from the military who's lost his printer shop, made his uh, vocation traveling out in the Wild West, reading newspapers. People, many of them couldn't read. They didn't have news of the world. And they would gather like people would gather to go to the movies. It was a special event in the town because their lives were dangerous and their lives were desperate and they were dirty. It was just a hard circumstance, and he came and brought news from across this great world of ours, and Tom Hanks played the role, and he did such a great job of it. It's been so long, I can't remember if there are caveats that I would warn you about in the movie. I know there's something about people getting killed by Indians and stuff in the Wild West, Um, but this morning, my name is Harry Long, and I bring to you news from heaven. 
Think about that. We begin to take for granted the study of God's word, what God has done for us. But I bring to you news from heaven. It is a revelation. What is the nature of this revelation? Let's look at the first uh, verses of chapter 1 in Revelation. I told Robert, don't read the passage because my whole illustration is I come to read to you news from heaven. And he would have stolen my thunder. Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, think Google Maps. Right here at the very beginning is the highest view. With Google Maps, you can go so far, so far out, you see the globe of the earth. And then you zoom in closer and you see the United States, North America. You zoom in closer, you see Virginia. You zoom in closer, you see your neighborhood. This chapter in Revelation does the same thing. What this book is about, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave uh, him, gave Jesus to show his servants what must soon take place. This is about the work of Christ in this fallen world and his return to this fallen world in the end. That's what this book is about. A little more specifically, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is a revelation that God gave to John. Marvelously, miraculously, he sent an angel to John with this revelation and for John to bear testimony to what he received to all that he could. So it's a revelation to John and a revelation through John to the church. Now, specifically, we're going to find this is a message to seven churches but one will deal with the number seven in apocalyptic terms. Uh, two, they are actual churches, seven churches in, in Asia, in modern Turkey. And they represent the typical problems of the church that we see all the time until Christ comes again. Some who are uh, affluent in, in affluent places have compromised and drifted into heresy. Others that are faithful are, are weak and, and persecuted. You can find the template for, for every situation in this dirty, dangerous, desperate world. Now, we live in a place of affluence, and we're all provided for. There's nobody starving in here. But when we look under the covers, we deal with, with relationship conflicts, with diseases, with all sorts of things. We live in a fallen world, and we need this news from heaven. And we can forget that. We can begin to think what we see is all there is. But you know better than that. That's why you're here. You need the news from heaven. In a sense, we all are working in this fallen world like we work on a, a midnight shift. Does anybody here work a midnight shift? Are you working it? Did you work it last night? Okay, so you, no excuse for falling asleep during this, this message. I, the first year that Mary and I were married, I worked for the railroad, and I worked a midnight shift. And the point of a midnight shift is the dawn will come, and Revelation is about the coming of the dawn, the coming of the sun. 
as he addresses us in our midnight shift of this world. I wrote a song uh, about our first year in married in marriage. It went something like this. I don't sing. Actually, I break into singing, but you can't really claim it's singing. This is just for illustration purposes. It's, it went like this. It's when you married me, I know you wanted the life of everybody else you know. Believe me, when I asked you to be my wife, I thought that it would be just so. But the apartment rent isn't paid by our love, and kisses don't put food on the shelf. And since there's nobody else who will take care of us, I have to go to work myself. And now I'm a trained man, working on the midnight shift while the sane man sleeps. The train man keeps on working on the midnight shift. Every night when it's time for you to lay down your head, it's time for me to up and leave. Oh, darling, when I, when I get home, you're getting up out of bed, and all that I can do is sleep. One day I'll get a job just like everyone else and come home to you every night. But till then, just remember I'm doing my best and everything will be all right. Oh, yeah. And now I'm a trained man working on that midnight shift. You see, in that, in that song, in our first year of marriage, there was hope for the better days ahead. In, in Captain Kidd's News of the World, he was bringing news of what was going on to people that were living pretty desperate lives, subsistence living, to give them hope that there was better days to come. We have the ultimate in this passage. Jesus is telling us he's sovereign over this fallen world. And he is at work in this fallen world. But this is a midnight shift. But he is coming. The sun is coming again. Let us look on uh, a little more into this passage. The third verse says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. It's interesting that most people think of Revelation because there have been so many arguments and disputes about how to interpret the apocalyptic nature of Revelation, that we just tend to neglect and avoid the book, don't we? I know this promise of blessing applies to all of Scripture, but it does specifically apply to Revelation. There's blessing in this. This news from heaven should give you hope as you look around and you see the world has fallen apart. We as at Sycamore, and I, maybe you all too, I don't know, uh, have direct connection with Ukraine. Do you all support of the uh, missionaries in Ukraine, we supported Rich and Barb Leary that went out from Sycamore to Ukraine. Through them, we had several uh, teams that would go over for short-term missions trips. We had the Ukraine for Christ staff come and stay with us for two weeks. And perhaps some of y'all uh, were aware or a part of that. We know these people. We know them by name, Bogdan, Sergei, and their homes are being destroyed. It is, it is a desperate world. It's a test of faith because we can think, well, why is God allowing this to happen? How can you trust him? Put yourself in the shoes of the Christians over there, and you just wonder. It's a test of faith. Or you can turn to God, who alone has the words of eternal life. 
as Peter did, said to Jesus. When Jesus asked Peter, are you going to leave me? He asked the disciples, are you going to leave me like everybody else? Peter said, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. In this kind of test of faith, we're not in the middle of it, but perhaps you are more personally over health, job, relationship issues. You're just kind of down in the pits, and you wonder, how could God allow this to happen? In that test of faith, you either break to God and say, my hope is in God who raises the dead, or you break away from him and say, I thought God would protect me from all this stuff. Your faith was not in God as God, it was in what he could do for you, for what you wanted. What a test of faith. This is a promise that God, that God is sovereign over this fallen world. Christ, well, we'll find it in the passage, he's the ruler of kings. And you say, that can't be. Look at what's going on. Remember our Savior said, in this world there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be disasters and famines and all this stuff. The fall in the world will go on, this midnight shift until he comes again. But in this time, Jesus said, in, uh, upon the rock of, of confession of him, that he's the Christ, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have hope for every day we live here in this midnight shift. We have work to do in this midnight shift, but better days are coming. Let's go on. We, uh, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. This gets a little more specific. These seven churches uh, represent the whole church. We'll find in Revelation that the number seven has something to do with wholeness and, and holiness. You have to understand apocalyptic literature as apocalyptic. Uh, the, ask what a number means not literally how many it is. You say, well, that, wait a minute, there were seven churches. Yes, there were. But we'll see in a second how you can't press it all the time. This is a letter written to the seven churches, but through the seven churches to you, to the whole church. Just as the letter to the church at Ephesus, the letter to the church at Rome, the letter to the church at Colossae, and all the rest, they were the word of God given through those churches to each of us. So this is personal to you. It's a letter to you. These seven churches might have been real discouraged. They were small. They were either corrupted by heresy or under persecution and very weak. If you look around and you think, what mighty work is God doing? Does it seem like Putin has more power than God? No, he doesn't. Let's read and lift our eyes from just looking around here. The waves, as Peter looked at the waves in the sea, and looked at our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a message of grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. How many times do you read those words and you just think it's a greeting? It's like saying hello. It's really a message from God of grace and peace. In this midnight shift, it's dirty, desperate, and dangerous. Grace and peace to you, because we're trusting in the one who raises the dead. From him who is and who was and who is to come, whenever you read God and the Lord Jesus Christ, you see the distinction. It's about God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. 
In this paragraph, we find a reference to the Trinity. Let me read the whole thing, and then we'll, we'll explain it qu quickly. From him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Do you see the Trinity in here? Don't be confused by the seven spirits. The seven spirits refer to the Holy Spirit. It perhaps is, is, if you really know your Bible, then you can understand the apocalyptic references. In, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, there's seven uh, references, seven facets of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, on the Messiah. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The sevenfold spirit is how many translations take this. But we should just understand when apocalyptic writing you know, cites a number, don't ask how many, ask what does it mean. Benny Hinn evidently is the, uh, do you know who he is? He's a health and wealth gospel guy that uh, Tim Gallage, somebody that many of us know, came from, from Sycamore. Uh, he and his wife, Therese, went to South Africa as missionaries to teach. He says, Benny Hinn is the Billy Graham of Africa. Tim said, when you hear about the gospel spreading so widely in uh, Africa, it's often the wrong gospel. It's Benny Hinn's health and wealth gospel. And he's so adamant, oh, the Bible is the word of God, and it says there's seven spirits. So he has a ninefold trinity, Father, Son, and seven spirits of God, because that's what the Bible says. See, it is easy to misunderstand apocalyptic literature. This is the Holy Spirit. There's another, uh, when you think of the number six and the number seven, where does your mind go in the Bible? Six and seven. Does it not go all the way back to creation? On the sixth day, God created man. On the seventh day, God rested and gloried in his creation. And then he gave us a pattern of worship in that, that we would, on that seventh day, acknowledge him. And now we celebrate that seventh day on the first day, the day of the resurrection. That's why this day is special. It's the Lord's day. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the rest that we come from the Messiah. Today, we celebrate what has come through the Messiah, beginning of the first day of the week. But in creation, if you left the seventh day out, what would you be underlining on the sixth day? Man was given dominion over the earth. Leave God out, the dominion of man. Later in Revelation, when it talks about the number of the beast, the six, 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 it's the exaltation of man and his dominion underlined three times. It's the essence of evil. So if that's the essence of evil, to leave God out and exalt man, who's given dominion on the sixth day. The seventh day is the day where we acknowledge God. It's the holy day. This is the Holy Spirit. So with that explanation, you see the Trinity here. From him who is and who was and who is to come, the Father, and from the seven spirits before his throne, the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, now, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, and we get more details about Jesus, who is the faithful witness. Witness to what? John 1, verse 18 says that uh, 
No one has seen the Father. Only the only begotten Son has seen him and has made him known. Way back at Sycamore with the children's sermon, I put up a screen. We had a screen left over from vacation Bible school or something, and I recognized the opportunity. And I put a mirror beside the screen, one of these floor-length mirrors, and I stood behind the screen and had all the kids come up and sit, and I said, can you see me? I was behind the screen. Most of them said, no. And one of them said, I can. So how can you see me? I'm behind the screen. I see you in the mirror. Ah. I said, but there's a difference between me standing here and my image in the mirror, right? Yes, there's a difference. But that's you. See, Jesus is that reflection, that manifestation of God. He said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to get to know God? Get to know Jesus. You're looking in the mirror of God as God has manifested himself through his Son to you. That's what it means that Jesus, who's the faithful witness, he doesn't misrepresent God at all. The direct, clear uh, manifestation of God through the Son He's the firstborn from the dead. Our trust is in one who, who raises the dead. That's not just wishful thinking. We go back and see Jesus has already done it. He's the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, once we've gotten that he did rise from the dead and he is God the Son and makes God known to us, then you can look at the world and say, it's too much chaos. How could he be the ruler of the kings? But that's like Peter looking at the waves and beginning to sink in it. Instead of looking at Jesus and say, this is news from heaven. He's still sovereign. He said there'd be wars and rumors of wars. He came first to redeem, not to fix everything. And he told us that. So this should not catch you by surprise that the world's a mess, that we're in the midnight shift. He goes on about Jesus to him. Can't help but burst forth in praise. You talk about Jesus, John can't help, but to him is doxology, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Okay, so this news from heaven is first a message of grace and peace from him who loves us and has redeemed us. This is news from heaven and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We're made into an eternal kingdom. We live above the kingdoms of this world that will all pass. We belong to an eternal kingdom. This is news from heaven. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. We can't unfold everything. There are lots of possibilities of those who mourn. We know that at, at uh, Pentecost, Peter said, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. And they were cut to their heart, and their mourning led to faith and repentance. There may be others that just stand against God, but when he comes uh, and they stand alone, uh, before him, they will mourn because they realize that they were wrong all along, dead wrong. But he's coming. The sun is coming. Dawn is coming. Light is coming. The new world order is coming then. 
not now. I worry about new world orders that we would set up because we can't do what Jesus can do. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, is this God the Father, God the Son? Actually, it's the Father revealed through the Son, the mirror reflection of the Father. It's both and saying this. Now, the last half of this uh, chapter is the most verses. It's an even closer look. Picture Google Maps coming down to your neighborhood. You see the names of the streets and the lots and the houses and, and all that stuff. We get a closer look at the churches and at Jesus. We're going to just walk really quickly uh, through these uh, verses. Just kind of read and, and comment on them as needed. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom, and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We find more detail about the circumstances of John. John isn't just saying from on high, here's good news from heaven. He's a fellow companion in suffering. He's writing from exile on Patmos. This is not an easy life for him. He is in the darkness of the midnight shift filled with the joy of news from heaven. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit and heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. On the Lord's day, we find in, in the New Testament that Christians, followers of Christ, gathered on the day of his resurrection, on the first day of the week. And we find freedom from the Old Testament laws that were of the feasts and the Sabbath days and everything. It was freedom to move from the last day of the week to the first day of the week. And this is a reference in the Bible, I think, to that day called the Lord's day. You call Sunday the Lord's day. There's something reminding to us that we're the Lord's. This is his day. And, and it's really a, a day of rest and refreshment for us. Even as rest and refreshment, when you're getting three kids ready for church, is not always rest and refreshment. Be a preacher and try to do that and with kids and can't find the shoes, you can't find the socks, and you got a deadline, you got responsibilities. It can be frantic. And then we open the word of God and there's something that fills our souls. Even if the preacher's kind of crummy and boring, the Word of God is never. If you have eyes to hear and, and uh, hearts to receive and obey, it's refreshing. And John was worshiping on the Lord's day when this revelation was given uh, to him. I heard a loud voice uh, behind me like a trumpet, which said, Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That's the outline for our next several weeks. We're going to take them one at a time. See, what was the church, what were they, what were they commended for? What were the problems of the church? And there's a sense in which we can let God speak to us. If the shoe fits, we can wear it and try to grow as a church, uh, recognizing what was already typical problems in the church from those times. We won't go any more into the seven churches uh, this morning. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. This is apocalyptic type of writing. How do you see a voice? He turned around to see who was speaking, but there's something full of imagery in this. Let's see what he saw. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. The seven golden lampstands will be explained at the end of the chapter. Someone dressed like a son of man, that should be familiar to you. It's from Daniel, and Jesus claimed this title, that he came from the Ancient of Days, 
like a son of man. It describes the incarnation of God himself. Those who don't see that hear Jesus refer to himself as the son of man, thinking he's emphasizing his humanity. Actually, he's referring to Daniel saying God himself will come from the ancient of days in the form, in the incarnation of the son of man. So John sees uh, one uh, walking among the lampstands uh, like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. You see his royal majesty here. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. You think of two things that are brought to mind, the white hair, the, the wisdom of the ages, but even more than that, the righteousness. Though our sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The righteousness and holiness of Jesus. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. We talk about feet of clay, feet of bronze that are standing in the midst of the heat. You see his mighty strength and power and stability. He stands and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Oh, how full that is. If you just studied the voice of God through the Bible, it begins in the Garden of Eden. It begins in creation when God said, let there be, and everything was created through Christ. He's the voice of God, the expression of God. And as God comes into the garden, his voice makes Adam and Eve know their guilt and their sin, and they try to hide. But God continues to speak. There's power in that voice. It's like standing in Niagara Falls. None of us could stand in Niagara Falls. We can't stand before God, except that as God speaks, he speaks grace and peace from him who loves us and has redeemed us. You see the richness of this. It's exciting. In his right hand, he held seven stars. That will be explained in a minute. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. You recognize that one, don't you? The word of God is like a sharp, two-edged sword that pierces even to the cleaving of joint and marrow. It cuts to the heart. There's nothing hidden from God, and the word of God convicts us of sin leads us to the cross where we find the grace and peace and love of God expressed. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance, an image of glory. So when John turns to see who's, who's speaking to him, he sees in these apocalyptic terms the Jesus in all of his majesty and glory and holiness and power, etc., etc., it's hard for me to understand exactly what did John say. I think John actually saw this. He's just describing what he saw. God was revealing himself in apocalyptic ways to John, and John was writing it down. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Reminds me of Isaiah when he saw God in the temple, and he fell on his feet. He said, woe to me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. It's John's experience exactly. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Over and over and over. This is why news from heaven, if, you're, if you don't know Christ and you stand apart from him, either in rebellious sin that you know is wrong or in self-righteous uh, you know, Pharisaic kind of attitude where you, you lift yourself up to stand before God in, in, in his presence 
is a fearsome thing. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We fall on our feet and fall off of our feet, fall on our face and acknowledge God as God and realize what we deserve. What we find over and over again as God appears, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He comes with grace and peace and love and the mercy of redemption. Amazing news from heaven. He said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. These are not keys to cast people in. We were born dead in our trespasses and sins. What we deserve when we stand before a righteous and holy God is to be separated from him forever. And the Bible describes that in terms that we all almost hate to breathe as we explain what the Bible describes hell to be like. If you really want to be separate from God, you don't know how every blessing you get in this life is from him. What is it like to be completely alienated from him? But he has the keys to unlock the doors through the redemption purchased by his blood to say, come out, come to me. I will give you rest. I will reconcile you to to God, to the Father expressed through me. I will, I love you. That's the news from heaven for you. Write, therefore, what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars, I told you the, the passage itself explains it. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, we can easily get the seven lampstands are the seven churches. They're lampstands. They're not themselves the light. Christ is the light shining in them. They're just the lampstands. So that's a good description of the church. But when you look into understandings of the seven stars are the angels, the word angels is simply the word messenger. You have the spiritual angels of God that declared the birth of Christ to the shepherds. And when we see the word angel, we think of that. The, the messengers of God are, are many. They're, a preacher is a messenger of God. And so many of the, the lexicons and commentaries will say, these are the, the messengers, the ministers of the churches that were called the angels. And to the angel, write this and deliver this message. To the messenger of this church, deliver this message to the church. We'll find that over and over in the next seven churches. Others will say, they're not local preachers. This is too high and holy. They got to be angels. But you're right to the angel. And the Bible does refer to a couple places that we could call guardian angels, but it's not a developed theology. And I don't see there's an angel for each congregation of a church. The angels watch over the God's created order. And there's a mystery there, but the angels always draw attention to, to Christ and to God, not to themselves to be worshiped. Whole sections of the church have gotten off into angel worship, but the Bible doesn't lead us there. I lean without dogmatism to these, a better translation would simply be to, to the messengers of the churches. Give this message to give to the churches. And so that would be the, the local preacher. 
there's an idea of the Greek preacher uh, that he was the messenger. He was the local town crier who would announce birthday parties, announce events. He was basically a low-level errand boy with a loud mouth. That's what the preacher was. But in time of war, the preacher would be given the king's scepter, and he would go out to the invading armada coming from another city-state in his little rowboat dung boat and hits a uh, 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 rowboat uh, dinghy, and he would uh, raise the king's scepter and say, in the name of king so-and-so, I call on you to surrender. He was usually the first one shot and killed in, in any battle. That's the foolishness of preaching that Paul talked about. But we come with news from heaven with the scepter of God, saying, Christ is at work. He's sovereign over this world, and he is coming again. He comes with grace and with peace and love and mercy. But you need to surrender to him. Give your life to him. Belong to him. And if you belong to him, when you stand before God, every sin, every, the sinfulness and every sin done is paid for in Christ. And his righteousness is given to you. You're clothed in his righteousness. So God says to you, come on in. You belong in heaven with me. You've been made worthy. It's not just he winks at our sin. You've been made worthy. Come in. The best days are yet to come. Every blessing in this life for the Christian is a foretaste of heaven, and every suffering is temporary. For those who don't belong to Christ, every suffering is a foretaste of hell, and every blessing is temporary. Chew on that one for a while. You wonder, why is there suffering in the world? Because we've turned away from God, but this is not as bad as it can get. Turn to him because he's come to us in the Lord Jesus. That's the message, the news from heaven. A captain, a kid uh, said in, in, in that movie I referred to, he said, ladies and gentlemen, these are stories of men and women very much like you waiting for better days to come. We'll be going through churches that are very much like us, but the message from the beginning is about the best days to come eternally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be at work in us. Let this message from this book that is not easy to understand in all its parts, I pray that we would catch the blessing of knowing that you're sovereign over this fallen world, even when many can't see it. And you are coming again. And when, if we die before Christ comes again, we are taken on to glory right then. The last chapter of this life may be very difficult. The next to last chapter of this life may be very difficult. But the last chapter is glorious. Give us that hope in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, and I understand every week in this church, you take uh, the Lord's Supper, which signifies the redemption that Christ purchased by his blood. I would ask the elders to come forward at this time.
This is the Lord's table. It doesn't belong to a particular church or a particular denomination, but it is for all who have truly received Christ as Savior and Lord and belong to him. And that sincere faith is also professed. It's not kept secret. If we confess with our mouths and believes in our heart, believe in our heart that we shall be saved. You don't keep it a secret. You profess it before the church. So if you have received the Lord Jesus and made profession of your faith uh, before the church, it doesn't have to be this congregation, but before the church that holds to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're invited to take this with us. If you haven't, don't take the signs, the things that's, that symbolize what he did. Take that which it represents. It's all the better. Take the Lord Jesus Christ himself and share that faith with those in this church and then come and take it next time. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And he who so lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let us eat.
In the same way, our Lord took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. Drink ye all of it. so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish will not perish but have everlasting life let us drink heavenly father in doing this we proclaim the death of christ until he comes again and all God's people said, Amen. Praise God.
the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. I didn't have a bulletin that I do something wrong. We actually did back challenge. have some more singing afterwards. Oh, we get to sing more. The disciples sang after the Lord's Supper too. Withhold that blessing. Let's declare our faith with the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again from the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Songs of celebration. Cross. 